Kia ora, I'm Damien Venuto, it's September 1st and this is The Front Page, a daily podcast presented by the New Zealand Herald. A years-long dispute between two pensioners and an Auckland property developer reignited over the weekend. Owen and Jane Hayward claim that they have been trespassed from the surrounding businesses of their Otake apartment for their refusal to sell to property developer Kerry Knight. But Knight says he's the one being harassed by the octogenarians. Warring neighbours may have made for perfect reality TV fodder back in the day, but as more developers seek to make the most of new zoning laws, how can these affected parties sort out their woes before the media gets involved? Today, on the front page, we're joined by senior property lawyer Jonathan Wood for his advice on what both sides of these conflicts can do differently. Jonathan, we recently saw the case of a pair of pensioners accuse a property developer of bullying because they refused to make way for a multi-million dollar apartment complex. What did you make of this case? I, as I want to do, was interested by that case when I saw it appear in the papers. It did strike me as a bit strange, and I did a bit of digging, but my comments on this are not fully informed by some of the necessary background facts. But it appears to me that the Haywards have some sort of property right over a property that is going to form part of the entranceway uh, Equinox's rather large development. I frankly don't understand why or how Equinox would need to have any more access than the roadway. And I'm not entirely sure what rights the Haywards have in relation to that. I'm going to plead ignorance on some of these questions. What do you need to do as a homeowner if you find yourself in the middle of a difficult dispute with a developer? Well, what I would start with is probably engaging with the notion of ownership and compulsory purchase. I mean, the Haywoods are a good case to tease this out in the sense that they have a right to occupy their land, and that's more or less inviolate in New Zealand law. There are incursions that can be brought into it, but absence, negotiation and agreement, there's very little that somebody can do in order to take your property rights away from you. What do developers need to do to avoid this kind of conflict, particularly when residents or landowners are inclined to view them with a slight bit of suspicion, I suppose. Yes, this is a strategic question because in the same way that the homeowners or landowners or neighbours have their legal rights and their ability to use their land freely and without interruption from somebody else, the developers are also landowners. They've purchased a property with a bundle of rights, and that right includes improving it. Where things get tricky is the consideration of what a developer needs to do in order to realise their plans for that development. That's a question that really is attenuated to what kind of development they're going to do and what you need to do in order to implement development. So, for example, If you were changing the ordinary quarter-acre Kiwi Pavlova paradise from a standalone house to three terraced houses, the effect on 
neighbours and other landowners is going to be so minor and your need to cross and use other people's land is probably going to be remote um, that you don't really need to engage that much at all. At the other end of the scale, you have developments where it is impossible to develop that land without affecting other people. And then a whole bunch of other rights come into effect, particularly under the RMA as it's currently drafted, and the sort of smaller rights in the Property Law Act about access to other people's property in order to do work on your own property. Jonathan, property and land laws are highly protected in New Zealand. You've already touched on this, but can a landowner under any circumstances be forced to move? Yes, but it is really highly prescribed and it is very rare that it's ultimately compelled. So the most usual example is under the Public Works Act, where the Crown requires land that is necessary to purchase in order to do public works. Those cases are usually done by agreement with the landowner. The compulsion element is disappearingly rarely litigated. What's usually litigated is the amount of compensation. In this country, we have, for example, a district court that hears 20,000-odd cases a year, high court that hears low thousands a year. The Land Valuation Tribunal, which hears these kinds of disputes, this year so far has heard two. So they're very Uh, rare, um, very rare. It's extraordinarily rare. And both those cases weren't about the compulsion element. They were about the appropriate level of compensation. So when we're talking about public works, we're talking about the government coming in to build a railway or a road or something like that, right? Railway, road, if you're environmentally friendly, a cycleway, things of that nature, schools, anything that a government department or crown entity needs to buy as a public purpose. What about those living on leasehold properties like the pensioners in the Otaki case? Do those strict rules also apply to leasehold properties? Yeah, leasehold is, is in many senses not very different from freehold or fee simple. And in particular, the leasehold that seems to be at issue in the Haywards case, again, I'm going to plead a little bit of ignorance around the exact facts. So that's a long leasehold that's registered against the land. Leases are both contractual and a type of land. Uh, you hold that estate and land against everybody else in the world in the same way that you would hold freehold land. Some of the ways that you hold that land and the conditions under which you hold that land are regulated by the leasehold contract. That's probably the most significant difference. The other significant difference is time. So Uncle was alienated against the Crown forever. Leasehold is alienated against your landlord for X amount of time, whatever you've bargained to receive. The front page is the NZ Herald Daily News Show. And if you want to hear more about the world of business, check out the NZ Herald and Business Desk Podcast Networks on iHeartRadio. Jonathan, can you point to any interesting cases that have gone all the way to the court and become precedents that we today follow in law? In this area, very few and far between. So 
and they're probably not directed at this particular issue about compulsion. They're more directed about the use of land. So a, a very important consideration, touching on what I've said before, is that for developments of a certain size, there are going to be effects on neighbouring properties, neighbouring suburbs. A good example is the extremely large development that's going to take place on the former Carrington Mental Hospital site in Mount Albert. That development will see almost 5,000 new homes built. It will include shops, lands, a school. And recently, very recently, we're talking last month, the High Court decided that that development, which was subject to the Resource Management Act, didn't need to be publicly notified. That was challenged by a community trust based in Point Chevalier who wanted it to be publicly notified. And the reason for that is that if it is publicly notified, the submission process is longer, more expensive for the developer, and usually the driving fundamental for a developer is to make money. And the driving sort of motivation for people who are opposed to development is to try and make the development so difficult it becomes no longer economically viable. So, Jonathan, when you have that type of conflict between developers and landowners in the vicinity, how do you handle that? How do you ensure that these disputes don't escalate forever, basically? You kind of can't. It's a weird aspect of New Zealand law in particular that we don't have, for example, personal injury claims. So in most common law countries, they form a significant bulk of the litigation that's undertaken. In New Zealand because we're not doing that, a large part of our civil claims are focused on property and on things as, to some people, as trivial as fencing disputes to RMA applications. Dealing with these things, let's say, on the developer side, it's really a matter of strategy. You have to ask yourself, well, what do I need to do to complete this development? Do I actually need the cooperation of other people, or can I do it all within my property? In which case, getting buy-in from your neighbours may be antithetical to you know completing your development on time and cost-effectively. On the other hand, there is a certain amount of benefit in getting the buy-in of your neighbours. Even under the non-notification process, you've got to get those people who are affected to agree in writing. So there seems to be no way that you can avoid conflict, it's a matter of minimising it. Are there any legislative changes that could be enacted to ensure that these disputes don't flare up and get out of control? I don't think so. I, I gave this some thought. I mean, we could move to a Soviet-style land license regime instead of land ownership. But given the background of ownership that we have, it's really tinkering around the edges. Now, I say it's tinkering around the edges. There's, in fact, a massive change that's going to come in over the next couple of years with the replacement of the RMA. And that will, in all likelihood, lead to more conflict as people try to work out what the parameters of that legislation will be. So the law will actually lead to more conflict rather than negating the need for more legal action? Inevitably, because uh, you'll have a newly drafted bit of legislation and the meaning and the import of it 
will need to be tested. So there will be an uptick in this area for sure. Jonathan, drawing on your years of experience as a property lawyer, what would be the one piece of advice for landowners and developers to settle these disputes early? Well, I'm primarily a litigant. People think that that means you go to court and you argue cases. What it actually means is, in most cases, settling. In order to settle a matter, in order to negotiate a matter, you need to have a really good idea about what your worst-case scenario is, what your best-case scenario is, and figuring out what you can live with. And I think the problem for parties to a dispute often is that they are unable to get to a position by themselves of realising what they can actually live with and what they are willing to give up in order to not go through the pain of a contested application or even high court litigation. So I think my best advice would be to look inside yourself and understand why your position may be possibly problematic for you in the future if you get it terribly wrong and what you can live with. Thanks for joining us, Jonathan. That's it for this episode of The Front Page. You can read more about today's stories and extensive news coverage at nzherald.co.nz. The Front Page is produced by Sean D. Wilson with executive producer Ethan Sills. I'm Damien Venuto. You can follow The Front Page on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. And tune in on Monday for another look behind the headlines.